Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. Good afternoon, Ben. Hey, Tony, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. So, well, excuse me. Yeah, well, that's good. So the you know it, we're recording this and in January now, and uh, there's been a lot of sports news. Have you followed some of the sports news this week? Just a bit. I uh, I found out last night that Nick Saban was calling it quits, and so it does mean uh, at least for Georgia fans and probably other SEC fans, you know, you can breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. Yeah. So, well, I, I think. New England fans are maybe having a sigh of relief after getting the third overall pick, but also probably in a little shock because, uh, you know, Bill Belichick, the great coach, the greatest coach of all time, according to some, maybe not according to Tom Brady, I'm not sure, but uh, the he's moving on from the Patriots, and it's not entirely clear as the time of recording this of whether or not it was his choice or not. So That is big news. Um, yeah, that's a lot of Super Bowl rings. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that uh, have you heard who's kind of the the most speculated person to take over the Patriots? Tom Brady. <laughs> Maybe it should be right. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've heard uh, the the former so uh, offensive coordinator Josh McDaniel, who did not exactly coach well outside of the Patriots, is thought you know he might come in and bring bring the solution to the Patriots. What do you think about that? Um, I mean, you know, he did pretty well there with the Patriots. Uh, <laughs> it helped having maybe the greatest coach and the greatest quarterback. I don't know. Maybe that's something to do with it. But yeah. So, well, and, and I hope that works out. I hope whoever we hire is a good solution. But to me, I do think in a way, if, if the ownership decided that Bill Belichick is the problem, it seems a little hypocritical to think that Bill Belichick's protege is the solution. Uh, would you agree with that? I'd say that's fair, yeah. So, but how important is hypocrisy in football? <laughs> in football? Well, I mean, I guess from a character standpoint, you could be an awful person um, and and still be a good football player. So I don't, I don't see a big connection, but... Well, and I don't think it really is that important. Maybe it is hypocritical to hire Josh McDaniel, but uh, you know, the bigger concern often is is not the hypocrisy in a football stadium, but I, I think a concern that really riles up a lot of young people and the world around us is hypocrisy in churches. Would you agree with that? That is a definite true statement. And I want to talk about hypocrisy in churches today, especially because I think this is a topic that a lot of young people want to talk about or concerned about. And I think it's right that we really give a response to that and navigate hypocrisy, both in next generations as well as in the church itself. So, so Ben, what is a hypocrite? Uh, a hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that they're not. They they give lip service to it, but the reality of their life is it just doesn't match that in a consistent way. Yeah. So, would you say that you're a hypocrite? 
yes. I mean, I'm a repenting hypocrite. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's ways where I don't live up to my own standards or to God's standards, uh, the standards that I want to hold out. Yeah. And so, yes, there's inconsistencies in my life, but they're ones that I am trying to you know, turn from. Yeah. So how about you? Well, yeah. And I, I think to that, I think it, it, it to one definition of hypocrite, I think we clearly all are. And to another aspect that I hope that we're not. So, you know, I, I think in a way, a, a hypocrite is a person whose actions contradict their stated beliefs. And to that, you know, I'm absolutely guilty. You know, I that I'm a person who believes in the sovereignty of God, that we have a God that rules over all of creation and that is working all things for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I lose sleep at night sometimes wondering what's going to happen. I mean, that I'm a hypocrite, right? (laughs) Yeah. But in some sense, though, this means that uh, hypocrisy means that we claim that we are something that we aren't. Uh, or that we aren't something that we are. And I hope that does not fit us necessarily. You know, I think we can, in a sense of moments, but I do think there is a way in which uh, that there, there's hypocrisy that, that is broader than, the, or in a way that is more of a problem, more of a systemic issue than just the person that's actions are inconsistent with their belief. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good distinction to make. Christianity, just a bunch of, hypocrisy and hypocrites Ben. no now yes there are people who are hypocrites in the sense that we talked about that you know we don't live up to our standards or to jesus's standards um and there are people in christian churches who are genuine hypocrites but christianity is not just a bunch of hypocrisy there are many people who they're not who they used to be they're not perfect and, and as you know uh Newton, John Newton said, you know, and they're not who they one day will be, but they genuinely have been changed by God. They're trying to turn from their sin and embrace righteousness and pursue that. And so uh, you can't you can't ignore that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think a lot of people believe that a Christian is just a bunch of hypocrisy. Uh, I, I think that's probably a pretty wide assumption, especially in my neck of the woods. Uh, but there is truth that as much as that can exist, I mean, Christianity is objectively more benevolent than the world around it. I mean, even yeah. uh, this is something that is being realized even by the secular world. Are you aware of Tom? who Tom Holland is? Uh, I know of him. Uh, I've heard he's a non-Christian historian, yeah. but who's like, hey, if you like a lot of stuff in Western society, thank Christians. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So I just started reading his book, uh, uh, Dominion, uh, also while watching his Spider-Man movies at different Tom Holland. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, he's pretty, I'm pretty sure he's hard an atheist. And yet even he's concluded, yeah. I mean, that all these things that we enjoy about the modern Western world, I mean, all the, all the benevolence around us is a product of Christianity itself, and it continues to be. Uh, that, you know, and I, but I think if in a way, if we weren't hypocrites at times, well, then first John would be wrong because, you know, first John, essentially the whole book is about the problems of the reality that we are hypocrites where, you know, first John says that he who says he without sin is a liar. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think clearly we all are to some degree hypocrites. But is there mm-hmm. anyone who isn't a hypocrite? Uh, do you have like a neighbor or, you know, maybe somebody you bumped into in a mall, the Mall of Georgia one time? 
That's not a hypocrite. I think I've only been to the Mall of Georgia once, so I don't remember much about that episode. Uh, I've been in the narrow sense, or narrow broad, I don't know how we're going to define it, but the in the sense of not living up to our standards, well, no, I, I, I don't know anyone. I mean, really, other than Jesus, um, no one is a completely uh, authentic and whole person. Yeah, yeah. But, but there are people who are, um, they do have a set of standards, whether they're Christian, uh, biblical standards, or something else. And they, I mean, Muslim jihadis, I mean, they have standards, and the ones that go strap C4 to themselves, I mean, they live up to those. Yeah. That's, they're being consistent, I guess, so. Yeah. so. yeah, I would say in most senses, other than Jesus, not really. I would agree with you on that. But I, I think what makes Christians unique, and, and I'm kind of basing this on some statements from Mark Dever, uh, who is really helpful on topics like this. But Christians are actually unique, though, in this, because Christians are unique because we are the really the ones that most overtly accept our hypocrisy. You know, that uh, mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, I think a lot of groups see other people as hypocritical. But Christianity really roots itself in the idea that the man in the mirror is a hypocrite. And therefore, we need the only one who's not a hypocrite, Jesus, right? Yeah, that's good. So now, why do young people care so much about hypocrisy these days? They have observed a lot of it over time, um, both in the culture and in the church. Uh, I've seen some some figures on this um, that... Up until the 60s and really like the Watergate scandal, people thought that uh, in America that our government leaders would basically do the right thing and, and, you know, have the right motivations, this kind of thing. Vast majority of people. After Watergate, that really began slipping. And and there's been just scandal after scandal um, at the highest levels of government. And then, you know, the last number of years we've seen a lot of scandals within uh, American Christianity and it's I, I can see why people would just especially if they're not believers and even people who are struggling in their faith just uh, looking for uh, the next high profile person that they were abusing someone or they were not who they said they were um, and so young people too have a, a an acuity to see through um I guess what they would, you know, uh, BS, shall we say. Um, and so they're in our, the age we're in now too, like people want to be authentic and this kind of thing. And so they see that kind of stuff and it just riles them up. Um, and so some of it is just cultural as far as like, I guess what's trending, but then some of it is there's a long line of, of mess that, our culture has left and so it's left people kind of uh jaded in some ways i don't know what do you think yeah so well since we're talking about young people that talk about hypocrisy it's probably i i'm i can can i summarize what you said in gen z language i'm of those who talk about uh that uh <laughs> that you know so, so you're saying that these young people are salty and they're finna glow up again uh, because things are bougie <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's it. I gotta throw it in the slang to make the people understand. Uh, thank you for translating. You're welcome. So, the, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with what you said. I don't know that I agree with what I said. I don't know that I understand <laughs> what you said. Uh, you know, I, I think you were right that, you know, the sensitivity and the awareness, I, I think like, this can be, for when we're young, it often can be an, an era of our lives where we're often hypocritically self-righteous ourselves. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. And so I think that can sometimes bring up our attitude on the hypocrisy that we see is that we actually, you know, we become these kind of warriors against the problems that are not the problems that are, are my problems uh, when we're young. I think this is probably a universal reality that's happened, you know, for years and years. Uh, and, and I do think that they do somewhat care about integrity issues more. I think that there's been a shift towards more of an emphasis upon, uh, you know, upon this idea of authenticity. And I think that does go to, you know, some of what you talked about, you know, and the transition from the 60s and so on, where, you know, that there's less focus on authority and more focus on this kind of heavy emphasis on kind of auth- what they say authenticity. So, uh, and yeah, I would agree that hypocrisy, there's been public scandals of hypocrisy and with social media, it's so much easier to see them. You know, even, I mean, look at, um, uh, I, I think we've talked about shiny, happy people recently, right? Uh, yeah, at different points. Yeah, and in shiny, happy people, I mean, you saw blatant, uh, sad hypocrisy with, you know, a certain Christian movement. And, you know, this documentary, I don't even think Amazon was promoting it that much. But, you know, it uh, everybody knew about it in five seconds when I, when people start talking about it on Twitter. Versus, I, I, I feel like even 40 years ago, a documentary on covering things, nobody really would have known about it until, like, after the Oscars, maybe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, things can pop up and people become more aware of things a lot quicker. Especially those, you know, who've grown up using these social media things in a way that maybe we have not quite as much so mm. now how do you think concerns about hypocrisy is factored into people quote unquote leaving the faith and i put quotes on that air quotes on that for a reason and i'm not phys- i didn't even physically put them up for shame for me but uh but why do you think that uh, concerns about this has has factored into this uh, discussion i think some of it you brought up a good point, um, some good points there, but I think some of it, self-righteousness could be some of it. Uh, I I can't believe these people would do this. I don't want to be associated with them. I don't do those things. And, and maybe they don't, but there can be a level of, of la- a lack of humility and of self-righteousness. I think, too, fear of man. Well, I don't want to be associated with these people. What will my friends think? What will these other people think that I know if they say, like, oh, you're a Christian? Well, yeah, Christians, you know, they do this. They're pedophiles. They're uh, they're self-righteous people. They're bad. Um, depending on, yeah, which social circles are, where you live in the, the country, um, that kind of thing. I think, too, there can be a, a legitimately good desire for our beliefs to affect our lives, which they should, uh, but you know, in a positive way, like the power yeah. of godliness. And also the, the people wanting to see the horizontal implications of our faith, like not just holding these doctrinal propositions. I mean we have to do that. The Bible gives us some concrete things like this is who God is. This is the truth about life. But it's not just a – passing a doctrinal test you know it, it, it 
train yourself for the purpose of godliness, you know, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So they see that, and there's been an increasing emphasis on that, I think, you know, as some, with some time. And so people are wanting to really see that fleshed out and then kind of feel disappointed um, when maybe someone who's been influential to them or just they become aware of, oh, look at all this this mounting evidence of these people. And maybe these people don't – I've heard Russell Moore talk about this. Um, they say, like, I, I thought I believed this, but apparently these people don't really believe what they say they believe. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a complicated issue. But I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So, well, I, I, I want to say, you know, we are the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. And in the theology of this, I think it does need to be established in a way that probably some who have talked about hypocrisy have not made clear that the Bible, I do think, is very clear that nobody really does leave the faith. Um, that, you know, we are saved by we are saved by the work of Christ and we're kept by the work of Christ. Uh, but I do think there are a lot of people that stop professing the faith. Uh, and I think one of the reasons in this actually, I think it actually has some connections to the fact that Christianity has so long been kind of the default religion, the kind of the check the box religion. And, and, so, and I think people are less going to want to accept that as kind of their default or check mm-hmm. that box when, you know, when our wrong actions when hypocrisy among Christians has made that less appealing. I mean, in a way, I almost see that we talked a little bit about football and college football. Uh, I, the Arkansas coach several years ago, you know, had that horrible moral failings. And, you know, I don't remember what his name was, but you remember what I'm talking about, right? Uh, and, uh, and Which one of the guy that ended up going to Liberty? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was at Ole Miss yeah. and then, or Mississippi State, one of those, and then he went to Liberty. Yeah, whatever and school he was at. Go ahead. I think he's the guy. He's at Auburn now, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But yeah. but I'd read that when that happened, a lot of like basically people that you know people that aren't big college fans, they stopped caring. They stopped really connecting themselves to that school. So it was really less those that you know were there every week. Uh, you know, the ones that were there every week wanted to outlast this. But you know, this kind of what happened, the scandals, the, the, the sin, the wickedness, the hypocrisy, and made those who were kind of on the periphery not want to make this their default. And I think to some degree that I think is probably what happened. That's uh, a good parallel. And, uh, and I think they're also hindered in their faith. Those that are saved are often hindered in their faith because we lose their trust in hypocrisy. Yeah. And that's a real yeah. problem. So. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, how might hypocrisy be a biblical and theological concern, Ben? Or is it just a moral one? Well, I mean, we're warned against such hypocrisy. Uh, I mean, you go to Acts 5, and the church is, is young in its years, I guess. Or I mean, we're, I don't even know how long uh, time had passed in Acts 5 when Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira sell property, and then they decide to... T- make themselves appear more righteous than they are. And um, they're rebuked not for their um, holding on to some of the money, but lying to make themselves appear more righteous. Yeah. This is, it's a form of hypocrisy. And I mean, the whole, now I think some of it had to do with the context and the fact that this was early on in the days of the church. But I mean, the Holy Spirit strikes them dead. And so it's like God cares about th- that we are whole and complete people and and i mean like you were talking about earlier we we come 
we're, we're saved by Christ, we're kept by Christ, um, but we are to turn from the sin that he saved us from. Uh, not pretend to or just give the appearance of it, but actually at the level of our heart and that of what we love. And so it's deeply tied to us becoming a Christian and continuing on. We're called to mature in Christ. And so um, it's hard to to really be a hypocrite and to do both, you know, to, to do that as well. Um, and so uh, it, it can end in final judgment if, if we're really truly yeah. a hypocrite. So – um, it gets pretty high level. I, what else would you add to that? That's good. So, well, to connect back to the Gen Z language, I would say, you know, for the Axe example of hypocrisy, they literally got lit up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The, I I don't, like, feel that old normally, but then I hear some of the Gen Z slang. I'm like, what on it's earth are you fun. talking about? Anyway, so... Uh, yeah, that uh, and and it is so theologically. I mean, I think the the realities of hypocrisy it plays into our theology of of sanctification, how we grow in Christ, as well as human our theology of human depravity. In a way, I think a right theology of human nature should mean that we shouldn't be surprised by hypocrisy. We should expect it. Uh, but also we should know that, you know, we are being saved. We're being transformed and, and that uh, day by day that, uh, and so as a result, we should be less hypocritical over time, transformed to one degree of glory to another, as scripture says. Uh, and, and I, I do think Matthew has a lot to say about it. You know, Jesus speaks in Matthew seven and Matthew six, uh, Matthew seven, he speaks about dealing with our sin first, uh, as kind of the solution to hypocrisy and in Matthew six, uh, he warns against being, being kind of outspoken in our righteousness in public more than we are in private to kind of put on a show in a way, I, I think the New Testament attitude, it, it actually reminds me, uh, against hypocrisy, reminds me of kind of a criticism against Baptists that I, I saw in a Prohibition documentary by Ken Burns. Um, there was a Lutheran uh, priest, a Lutheran pastor, basically, who I think had said in talking about Prohibition, randomly, he said in the documentary, uh, that, you know, you know, the difference between Baptists and Lutherans, he said, was that, uh, that Baptist, uh, that... They, they pray in public and then they drink in private. And the, versus the Lutherans pray in private and drink in public. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I don't know that that's always true of the Lutheran, but sometimes it can be true of us Baptists. And I think that's the kind of the heart of what Jesus warns against. So, so. Uh, Yeah, well said. Now, what helps us resist the sin of hypocrisy, man? You know, some of that may depend on uh, a particular person and, and what is grips their heart and their conscience. The thing that I think of, the fear of the Lord, the fact that God is watching, um, regardless of, of who else is or is not watching, that he is, and, and he will hold to account. He will judge. And, and something else that you mentioned a minute ago about uh, when church, when Christians and church leaders have these moral failures, or we don't measure up and we, we do act in hypocritical ways that we lose the trust of, of other people who are following us and who are watching. And that has before in my own life, you know, I'm say I've encountered some temptation and remembering there's going to, if I give into this, there's going to be fallout. 
Yeah. With this person and with this person and with this group of people. And, oh, man, like what would it do to these people's faith and the relationship I have with them and all kinds of things. And I, I remember reading uh, – we had to read this book in seminary in the uh, Don Whitney Spiritual Witness uh, – not Spiritual Witness, Spiritual Disciplines class, The Purity Principle uh-huh. by uh, Randy Alcorn. And yeah. he talked about that, that whenever he was tempted um, in, in some way, you know, to, to have a, you know, in like a sexual sin kind of way, that he would just periodically stop and reflect about the consequences that would come and how dumb it would be for him to give in to the desire of a temptation and then just all of the bad that would come with it. And it's usually that was enough to just kind of sober him up. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I think that as well there's the vertical part of it but there's also the horizontal um i don't know what 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 has been helpful for you or have you helped other people with i think i think as a culture in general i think we can do things that help all of us together and i think one of those things is that i think the christian community should widely embrace transparency i think we should be all about it Maybe more than anybody else, because you know, I think, I mean, that's we're the light of the world. I mean, light is inherently not meant to be something that you know is used to hide, right? Light is used to expose, and so we should be people that we talk about our own sin. We, you know, and, and I think that's actually that's something I, I think God has grown me in that you know more more often than I ever thought I would. I'll mention my own sin in the pulpit, even, and I think that kind of culture is. I think key that we actually, the more we open about our sin, the less we probably will sin as a result. Uh, and then I think then further a right emphasis on on grace, uh, because I think if we kind of do overly kind of a law and kind of overly focus on on the things that we accomplished and our role and and our relationship with God, what will happen is that we re- that we when we face the reality of our failures, of our weaknesses, that we'll just want to cover over them rather than to be immersed in the grace of Christ. Um, and I think avoiding an overly restorative theology of glory, uh, which is a lot of big terms there, uh, would be helpful. But you know, I, I think an example of this would be you know you see that. A lot of times, the, these guys, these leaders, Christian leaders that have had terrible falls, or, or in any way, shape, or form, uh, and if they happen to be really influential and really naturally gifted, we're, we as Christians are quicker to restore those kind of people. And I think to kill that will be helpful in resisting the sin of hypocrisy as a culture, but also even as individuals. So I, you know... Even, I mean, honestly, I know of a Christian comedian uh, that, uh, you know, he who had, who, who did some truly horrible things. And, you know, and I thought it was bizarre how much quicker that Christians were to restore and give, let him back in the capacities that he had before compared to the world that doesn't have the standards of holiness that we have. Uh, you know, and I think sometimes it's a reflection of we really don't care that much hypocrisy, about hypocrisy. We don't care that much about you know, these kind of things, uh, un- you know, until when it happens to coalesce or intersect with those that we think are really awesome and those and those that we think are really gifted. Mm. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, there's this hard line too, and I don't know that it's a clearly defined one. 
or for every case, but the line between we've got a concept of grace, like the world permits everything, but then forgives nothing. And then we do forgive. And I'm not saying in particular, I think I know who you're talking about. Um, but, and, and no judgment call there, but, um, yeah, I mean, we've had to wrestle through that at our church and, and like, what do you do with a, someone who's sinned and then what their repentance and these kind of things. And, um, yeah, it takes a lot of wisdom, I think. How can we show our children then the danger of living a hypocritical life? That's a good question. I mean, kids are going to care about that and we don't want to be hypocrites. Um, one thing that comes to mind is they're going to see examples and be aware of examples. And so just pointing them out, not in a an arrogant way, but just saying, let's learn from what happened here. Like it, it's out there for everybody to see. Yeah. And so kind of talking with that, uh, talking through that with them. And uh, it, it kind of connects to some stuff uh, I've been doing with some dads. We just finished up last night, but we were reading through the first nine chapters of Proverbs. You know, Proverbs is, is set up where that's a distinct unit. And then in chapter 10, it begins the kind of one-liner pithy statements. But in one to nine, it lays out a this vision of wisdom and, and walking with God in that way. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, you know, in chapters eight and nine, there's a lot of this extended narrative that, that fires the imagination. And, and so using other examples like that trying to get their mind to engage in their their imagination their conscience and uh and even even smaller examples in their own lives or from your from your life um when you have been hypocritical and being open about that and just talking through how how you get to that point why we might do that so they become aware of it um not i mean you can become aware of your sin and not do anything about it but the more you wear are aware of it and especially if you have if you have the spirit of god in you that can can drive you towards i got to deal with this and so yeah. um i think that's that could be helpful what do you what would you say yeah i'd say a couple of quick things i think what you said is really helpful uh but you know i, I think we we should always instill in our family is that God sees all and, you know, yeah. we need to live according and not, not in the way that not in the shame inducing way that Santa sees, all, but uh, kind of in, you know, but God, God is, God knows, you know, and God, the God who desires the blessed, the God who works all things for our good is the God who's thoroughly aware uh, of what we want to are attempted to hide. And so there's no point in it. There's no benefit in hiding in that sense. I think also we should have, when prominent falls happen, we shouldn't cover them up, but have real conversations about that, especially if it's somebody that our family happens to be aware of or influenced by. Uh, And then I would just add, I think that uh, another wise solution here is, I think families should pray together about killing sin in our own lives, in our lives together. You know, not, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, God, God uh, help little Johnny uh, get over his junk and start being better behaved and take care of the dishes quicker. That <laughs> said, God, you thank know, you that I am not like Johnny. <laughs> yeah, but instead that we you know pray together that you know God would help us see our own foolishness, our own sin, our own rebellion, our transgressions, so that we can overcome them by His grace. Mm-hmm. 
So should the reality of hypocrisy shake our faith in Christianity? Should it make us think maybe this is a, you know, a bunch of uh, make-believe? To me, no, it does not really at all. I'm not saying it shouldn't give you any pause, but human inconsistency is a universal problem. And so it's something, it's just sort of like the issues of pain and suffering. Like everybody has to deal with it in some way. So that in and of itself, I don't think should just, it's not a, disqualifies us from the, the start. Um, I, and I heard several, I think it's been a couple years ago, uh, I saw this clip from Matt Chandler and I thought it was just well said. And he talked about the issue of people walking away from the faith and the reason being like, oh, look at all these hypocrites, these people that are failing and this kind of thing. And I know he had his own issue. His, I don't really know the ins and outs. I read it. it. It did seem like much, much less severe and whatever. And his response to correction in his life was much more humble than some of these other guys. Again, I, I, I'm not at the village church, but um, anyway, this was before that had happened. But he pointed out the example of the apostles and you know, they're Jesus, you know, after he feeds the 5,000 and these people walk away when they don't, you know, he's like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then, then he invites like, Hey, you guys, you want to leave too? And Peter's like, where else could we go? Like you have the words of life. And he said, you know, they were so fixed. Their eyes are so fixed on Jesus that, that walking away from him was just unthinkable, even though they saw those other people, they were aware of it, but they weren't like, well, look, look at this one. What about this one? You know? And, I think that is a powerful thing. If our eyes are on Jesus, doesn't mean that it's this individualistic faith and you have no regard for other people. But if if you are running, as Hebrews 12 says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, he is much more compelling than even the pastor that that might have been a hypocrite. Um, I mean, that's who we're following and who who we're we're worshiping. And so he is a – I was reading over – I read – the reason for God that Tim Keller wrote uh, mm-hmm. a long time ago for the first time this summer. Really? And I was going back over yeah. notes and just kind of put it in my computer. And he quoted, I think it was Dick Lucas, who's an English preacher. And he said, you know, God has not given us a an airtight um, argument for the truth of Christianity, but he has given us an airtight person in Jesus. And that just stuck out to me. And, and I think that that is a very good way of saying it. And so, Short answer, I don't think so, but what would you say? Yeah, so I I do think it's appropriate to let hypocrisy shake our faith in certain Christian people and in certain Christian movements. You know, I think that the reality is we have seen not just that hypocrisy specifically in Christianity, but it seems to be that we have seen in the past several years a certain theological movements that have actually kind of become seedbeds for hypocrisy and become sources of covering up hypocrisy and things like that. And maybe that's appropriate to rethink things. And, you know, and I don't think that we should necessarily apply it to the Southern Baptist Convention, but even for those who think that, that's okay. You can think that, you know, that it's not wrong. It's not forsaking Jesus to feel like these movements you know, that are man-made, man-made to honor God, 
you know, that these are things that we can be shaken over, uh, so long as we're not giving up on, on Christ church broadly. But I, yeah. I don't think in a way this should shake our faith at all because of the fact that, you know, it's almost like when people's faith are shaken, uh, it's almost like they have an attitude that, well, you know, this is so unexpected that Christian leaders would fall uh, in ways that's hypocritical, that, that so much of Christianity would show itself to be fraudulent. But like literally Jesus predicted that in Matthew 7. Yeah, I mean, Jesus is pretty yeah. over, hey guys, like hypocrisy is going to happen a lot in my name. Um, you know, I do yeah. think it perhaps also can shake our faith in some naive theologies. Uh, I think it should shake our faith perhaps and, you know, some some really hyper kind of, you know, that uh, man, man, man puts his trust in Christ emphasis, some kind of, you know, Pelagian type responses. I think that's going to be hard to hold to when we see the reality of hypocrisy or even probably it, it might be appropriate to question postmillennialism or some of those kind of Christian, victorious Christian movements when you see the reality of Christianity that's falling left, right and center and lying about it. Mm, that's that's good. But how can we help young people to respond when they observe hypocrisy among Christians? I think one response needs to be uh, take heed lest you fall. Mm. Um, was that First Corinthians ten thirteen? Yeah. Um, and that's some just when you see someone, um, we don't want to get on the the high horse, and oh my goodness, and you know just disparage the person. Um, but kind of buckle down and be humble and be faithful. And, you know, I'd say pray pray for the person, pray for yourself, and, and just make a renewed commitment to the Lord and ask for his help. That that, that would not be true of you. Um, because don't don't think that, you know, you're better. I, that, that's really the thing that stands out the most to me. But, I mean, what yeah. would you add to that? I, I think what you said is really, really key. The most important thing that, that they need to hear because in a way it's really easy to have the kind of prayer of the Pharisee in response to hypocrisy, which is hypocrisy unto itself. Again, thank you, Lord, that I'm not the hypocrite, right? So, uh, you know, so warn them against that uh, because again, it's easy to lash out against the hypocrisy. That's not the me hypocrisy. Uh, but I think at the same time, we need to help make sure that we don't negate the seriousness of sin at all. You yeah. know, we, we cannot act like, oh, you know, it's not a good big deal. And we definitely absolutely cannot have the attitude that the person that pointed this out, you know, they're hurting they're hurting the Christian witness. Uh, but but I think we can show them that Jesus predicted this kind of thing. And so this will be a reality in our sinful church and a sinful world. So, yeah. But how can, in response to this further, though, how can we help our churches be places that push back against the hypocrisy of every age? That's really good to think about because... Obviously, what happens in the home is going to have a big impact on that, but also the home – I mean your, your family, assuming that it's kind of a nuclear family and not this ex whole extended family that's living together, um, it only does so much. But then when you see it more in a community – but I mean, yeah, again, the family matters. Um, but in a church, trying to cultivate a, 
an atmosphere, a culture of transparency, like you said, as much as possible. Not that you confess everything to every person. Uh, I don't think that that's necessary or wise. Um, I mean, the classic example is, you know, some man standing up and like, listen, sisters, I'm really pray for me because man, I'm lusting over all of you. Like, that's just not helpful. Um, but just a culture as well of confessing our sins to one another and, and, and not trying to appear more godly than we actually are. Um, and so if you can, and that's a, that's a culture where we take the holiness of God seriously. We take sin seriously, but also where we take grace seriously and, and apply the grace of, of that we have in Jesus to our sin, that we're not trying to justify ourselves. We're letting God do that, and uh, that we're trying to help one another to turn from our sins. And so I think that that is going to stand out because that's not that's not how the world does it. They just yeah. they don't have the resources in, in their philosophies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think I'll add a, just a couple things to this. I think we said it's fantastic. But, uh, you know, when I read First Corinthians, the consistent emphasis I get from Paul in First Corinthians about sin is that that our godly focus on sin stu- that is most outraged with the sin that's closest to us and is and is least outraged with the sin that is furthest from us, uh, which is opposite of how we can act, right? So and, and so and I think that does mean among Christian churches, we should be most bothered by the sins that we have as individuals, and then by our our family, our church family sins, and then we get bothered by the other things. And I think having that attitude, it will guard us against hypocrisy as well. But no, I think I think what you said really hit the nail on the head, and and we need to be very open if we're as a church, we need to be places where sin is routinely talked about. And, and where it's when we talk about it, we come to kill it together. And again, not in the way of the man who creeps people out, right? Well, <laughs> right. uh, this is a good discussion, I think, Ben. And I, I hope that this helps all of us to overcome the reality of hypocrisy in all of our hearts. Because, yes, I can be a hypocrite. And Ben, I know you can be a hypocrite, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's it's pressing like for us all individually because we deal with this but then just culturally what's going on so yeah glad you brought it up amen Uh, good discussion brother yes amen thank you for joining us for this episode of the theological family ministry podcast if you have enjoyed this episode please give us a review on itunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.